Well, I'm grateful you're here today, and I'm grateful for the way that God uses his word to shape us. Like Chad said, we're in the book of James, and we have been uh, looking at so many interesting topics. And, in the, and I want to remind you, the book of James is so important for us because it talks about what the church is supposed to do. Now, a lot of times when we think about what the church does, we think about like our practices in this room. But the reality is when we put God's word into practice, the Bible is moving us to evaluate how we live out in the world, out around people that don't know Christ. And, and that's the book of James. It's this preparation of how to live our lives. And there's so many interesting topics that we've dealt with from prejudice to anger. And, and, and it makes sense to turn our attention to our cash, um, the way we spend our money. That's what James 5, 1 through 6 is talking about. And, and we're, I love going kind of section by section through a book because it forces you to stop and deal with some issues and you can't just overlook it. This would be one that you'd want to overlook because it's one of the most um, confrontational verses, some of the most confrontational verses on money in all of the Bible. Now the truth is we have a problem with money sometimes. That, that's a struggle that we have. My, my uh, nephew, I have a nephew, my brother's son, just got married uh, last year, and, and he and his wife just left for Dubai. They work uh, with the International Mission Board. As Southern Baptists, we uh, give to the cooperative program. The cooperative program goes to fund our missionaries that go around the world, and Josh and Millie, are in Dubai serving as missionaries in, in our, uh, uh, and, and they're helping start churches, and it's really cool what they're doing. But before they left, we had this big party, and I was asking, asking them about Dubai. What's it like? And, and, and it was so interesting because they, they said that um, the policemen, they drive Lamborghinis. Isn't that cool? I mean, that, I mean, if you're going to drive a cool police car, a Lamborghini would be a cool police car, okay? And, uh, but, but there's so many fast cars there that they have to have Lamborghinis to, to catch them. And, uh, and so uh, in Dubai, it's really interesting because it's the wealthiest people in the world that, that live in Dubai. Some of you have been there and you know what I'm talking about. They, they, it's just crazy the, um, the wealth that they experience, but at the same time, among the very, very wealthy, right next to them are the, are the poorest of the poor. Because they bring in these workers that go and work in these work camps, and they're the servants, and they work in all these places all over Dubai. So it's really interesting ministry because you have both extremes of life. But you know what's interesting about it? Both of those groups fall into the trap that so many of us in America fall into. It's that pursuit of money, that money will make you happy, that money is the source of, of it's the greatest need in your life. And what's interesting, both the, the poorest of the poor are there working, sending money back to their homes because they believe that money is my greatest need. Then you have the wealthiest of the wealthy that are just crazy, I mean stupid wealthy, that, are, that really believe this is going to bring me contentment in life. And the truth is we, we, we fall into that too. We're consumed with money. And, and 
It's interesting as as I think about the challenge in America. Uh, I have some friend. I have a good friend uh, that married a girl from Russia, and and she was at our house for for dinner one night. And she, we, I said to her, "Okay, what what's been difficult about adjusting to American culture?" And she thought for a minute and she goes, you know, it's difficult for me to understand sarcasm because in Russia, uh, we're not as sarcastic as Americans. And, and, and I have a hard time determining when someone is joking. And, and I thought that's funny because I made some jokes and she was like, do I laugh? Do I not laugh? My jokes aren't very funny anyway. But, um, but she, she said, but here's one thing about Americans. They never joke about money. They're always serious when it comes to money. And I think that's so true because we seem to have this, we seem to get out of balance with our, our belief or our convictions or our passions about money. And I, and I see this in our political culture, in our political climate. You see uh, uh, what I've seen growing up in, in America is that in the United States, is that we will overlook moral failure or moral struggles or moral um, rebellion if our, if our economy is strong. And we see this in our political landscape. We, we see it in our families that, that we have this belief that if I just made more money, I would be better off. You know, the lottery shows this. I mean, we, I, I was at Quick Trip the other day, and a lady was in front of me, and she was spending, like I think, like 30 bucks on lottery tickets. And we walked out at the same time. I was buying gas, and, and, and I just was right behind her. And, the, and she probably would have been better suited to save that, that $30 and start fixing up her car. It might have been a better idea. But, but we live in this idea that if I just made more money, it would be better. Um, we see this in churches. You know, I have friends that some are, are at churches that have really, they're, they're, they've got a lot of money in their church budgets, but they're not reaching people with the gospel. And they think, oh, well, we're all right because our budget's good. You know, you know what I pray as a church? that we are more broken hearted for salvations than we are about our checkbook. Now, I'm not saying we, we, should, be, um, we should ignore good stewardship. But what I am saying is that God is moving us. When we look at God's word, it moves us to have a, have a healthy understanding about our money. That's James 5, 1 through 6. Would you stand and let's read this together. Now, if you're visiting today, we have a practice that we stand in honor of God's word. And, and we're making a statement that this is not my word, this is not your word, this is God's word to us. And so this is a practice that has gone on for centuries, and we just embrace it here. It says this, James chapter 5, 1 through 6, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. 
Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept you back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now in the New Testament days, it's important to understand that, that it was similar to what life is like in Dubai. There was really no middle class in the, in the first century. That's who James is writing to. And, and you really had the wealthiest of the wealthy and the poorest of the poor. And there was no middle class. And it's different than our country. Like, for example, I did some research this week. And, and the median income for the United States of America is $51,000 a year. If you just do a median income for the United States, that's what it is. If you are considered poor in the United States, from a global perspective, you would be in the middle class. The, the poor, as, as classified by the United States definition of poor, is globally middle class. What's interesting about Owasso, in this part of Tulsa, um, that the median income is, is $71,000 uh, for a family. That's the median income. So it's important to understand that when the Bible talks about wealthy, he's talking about us. Let's not miss that. That, that we really are this wealthy that he's talking about. If you own a car, uh, you're considered wealthy by the world's standard. If you own your home, listen to this, I read this statistic this week. If you own your home, you are in the top 5% of people in the world. And, and all you have to do is, like, like Chad had mentioned, go on a mission trip. And, and, and you'll understand where we are as Americans and what we have, what we have been given. Now, now the truth is, like, like um, I think I said this earlier, money's not the source of all evil. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The love of money is the source of all evil. And it's this moment that we get out of balance of what we, when we think about money and how we, we get consumed with money and, and, and as we read this passage, God, I think, is moving us to help us evaluate how we're spending our money. So let's look at this. Have you, if you have your notes, I'd love for you to pull this out. The, the first thing I want you to see today is that wealth is not the answer to the problems in your life. Now, now this is a problem that so many people in the world fall into, that, that if I just had more, that would be the answer to my problems. But that's not the answer to your problems, yeah, um, like this passage says, look at verse one. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. I mean, we, um, uh, we've all seen those big homes like, like Chad mentioned earlier. And some of you go, oh, let me have that problem. I, I'd love to have that problem if I had all that money. But the truth is, it's not the answer. Um, Come now, it says, if you're rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Verse 2, your riches have rotted your garments. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, first thing we see here is that, that God warns us not to stockpile money for selfish reasons. And sometimes we have this tendency that, that we've got to stockpile money for ourselves and for selfish reasons. Look at verse 3. It says, um, you have laid up treasure in the last days. You know what that, that is describing? That, that word there is hoarding that you're hoarding money in the last days. And, and it tells us what, what happens, that, that this is not what we should, how we should live. This is not what we should do. What James is doing right here is he is kind, kind of articulating the social problem of the love of money that he sees in his day. And the truth is we can see this in our day, that, that money must not become this end in and of itself. But we have to, and, and I pray that we hear this, that just accumulating wealth must not be the goal for, for selfish reasons. But we have to understand that God has given us, a, a, he wants to use what we have for his kingdom. Because all through the scripture, you see very wealthy men who were, in, who were used by God in unbelievable ways. And I, we see this today. God uses us and wants to use what he's given us for his purposes. And, and it's important that we don't just stockpile money for selfish reasons. In the, in the New Testament, if you were wealthy, you would stockpile food. Because you, like, now we, we try not to get fat. And, and I ran this morning, uh, and it was very hot, and I'm still sweat. I can't stop sweating today, so don't hug me because I stink probably. But... Um, but I'm trying not to be fat, er, fatter is what I'm trying. And so I ran today. And, but, but in the New Testament, you wanted to get fat because that showed, oh, you're wealthy. You're important if you're fat. <laughs> you're like, oh, I wish we could live there, right? No, you don't want to live there. Um, so, so they would stockpile food. And James is saying, look, your food is rotting. They would stockpile clothes. They, they would wear, I mean, that's similar to today, if you have your cool styles or, or whatever, but, but they would wear these clothes, and he says, look, your, your clothes are wasting away. They, they would um, gather precious stones and jewels, and, and this was a way to say, look, I am important, I'm wealthy, and James is saying, look, all that is rotting away. It's not gonna last. And, and it's important that we understand that if we just gather wealth for selfish reasons, we're missing the whole point of life, of, of, of the gifts that God has given to us. Now look at verse two and three. He says, your, uh, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. Look at this. And will eat your flesh like fire. James is saying, look, this is not going to work out like you thought. The pursuit of money is not what you need. Verse 4 says, look, um, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters, look at this, have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So not only does God warn us not to hoard money for selfish reasons, but, but God warns us not to gain wealth through cheating others. That, that many of us in this room, you, you, there's a lot of business owners and a lot of business leaders, and you work for companies, and you're very gifted at what you do. I mean, we have so many engineers in our church, I think we could send 
our bus to the moon if we wanted to. I mean, it's crazy what we have here. We have gifted people. But see, we've got to make sure in our pursuit of success, and because we want to be successful, we're driven that way, and all of us are. We want to do our very best, but we've got to do this in a way that doesn't cheat others. And, it, and it, look, we see this right here, that, that the Lord sees what you do. He sees how you're, you're he sees your honesty. James is articulating a day that, I mean, in the New Testament, they didn't have workers' unions, and, and, and you were, most people were paid daily. And it was like this, the, the owner of the business would say, hey, come and work for me, and they would do the work, and then he'd say, look, I don't like it, so I'm not going to pay you. And they were just stuck. If you were a worker, you were just stuck. And James is saying, look, God sees this. God pays attention to what you do. And I pray that we all understand that, that everything we do, when, even when nobody's looking, God sees us, so we should honor him. And this is what James is communicating to, to people back then and to us, that God warns us about cheating other people. And so the question is, look at verse 4. Behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. So here's a fair question today. Are, are, we, are, are we cheating anybody? We, we shouldn't. Are, are, we, um, are we manipulating some relationship for financial gain? Don't. Let's hear this. Let's embrace this conviction, this, what the Lord is saying to us. Verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I mean, it's, it's so tragic because he's saying, look, um, God, God's warning us here not to spend our money with ourselves in mind. I mean, look at this. He says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You're, you're, you fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. It's almost like he's saying, as I look around our culture, I think of, of the people that I know and love that if they died today, they would split hell wide open. And so often we, even churches, spend their money on and, their, and their, their time on things that aren't building the kingdom, things that aren't important. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't want to be a part of a church that, that when we stand before God, and I think that God is intentional about calling us together and serving the Lord here, I want to I be found faithful to the Lord. I don't want to spend my time and, and my effort on things that don't matter, things that don't last. And this is what I see God saying to us about let's, in, in a day of slaughter, in a day of people are, that are dying and going to hell and, and there's so many needs around us that, that we don't live spending our money with just ourselves in mind. This is why I love that we're building the mission. We're building a mission, if you're new, on, on Garnett. And it's, uh, I mean, we're doing this before we build a place for our students and remodel our children's building. Those are all needs that we have as a church. But I'll tell you, the first, we're, we're um, a little less than a million dollars away from finishing all of this, and we need to do this. I mean, I think we can break ground earlier than before we have all the money, but we're going to pay cash for it. And, and, and I'll tell you, this is something we've got to do because as we build a ministry here and build a church here, we've got to be right in the middle of helping people in need. Not just building stuff for ourselves. Building stuff that's helping people. 
That's the kind of church we want to do, we want to build, we want to have here. Not just spending money on ourselves. It means something to the Lord when we use our money as a blessing to others. Look at these Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 17 says this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. That when we help the poor, it's like we're lending to the Lord. I love this. Um, whoever gives to the poor, Proverbs 28, 27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides is his eyes will get many a curse. And this is what happens. People with money, and we all fall into this, that we want to hide our eyes to the needs around us. And man, we can't do that. We cannot do that. Verse six, go back in James 5. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And, and it's interesting that, that how, how we, um, those that are righteous sometimes are powerless. The, uh, those that are poor are sometimes powerless to those that are in power, those that have influence. And I want us to see that we are people of influence, and God wants to use what we have to help others. That, that God warns us about using money to manipulate other people. And we can't use our influence and use what God has given us to manipulate somebody else. That's wrong, according to Scripture. And, and we see this all the time, that, that um, people in power use what they have to manipulate their situation. And, and I, you may say, well, pastor, that's just how the world is. You know, that's just how it is. We, we, we're just doing what we need to do. No. This is why God's word is given to us because it changes us and we're to hear it and we're to put it into practice and say, Lord, we're gonna trust that you, what you have said works better than what the world says. And this is why we've got to learn how to come together and study the word of God and to allow his, to allow his word to move us. Bottom line is, God wants us to pay attention how we use the money he's given us. And, and this is what we've got to do corporately as a church, but also individually in our families. That, that for us as parents, that, that we're to sit down with our kids and to pray through how God wants to use what we have to be a blessing, to, the, to be a part of the kingdom. I mean, as parents, you should be having this conversation with your children. Grandparents, you should be helping your grandkids understand, hey, look, we, we, what, what God has given to us, we give to him. We allow him to use. And, and this is part of, of allowing God to use what he's given us to help others. Point number two is, let me say it like this, that, that we must become faithful stewards of all God gives to us. And for you and I to learn to be faithful to be a steward of everything we have. It's like we say to the ambassador baseball team that, that are coming next week, I'm gonna see them this afternoon, and, and, and we tell them all the time, look, God made you good. God's the one that made you good, so you hold your baseball like this, not like this. Because see, every day is a gift of God. And so, Lord, we're gonna give it to you today. This is important. 
That, but let's, let's think about our money for a second. That, that God calls us to make money in honest ways and use it to help others. And this is something God calls us to do. This is what it looks like to be a faithful steward of what God's given us. If we cheat people, then, then that's not right. If we, if we earn money in a, in a dishonest way, that's not right. We should, as men and women who love Jesus and who are called by him, we should make money in honest ways. So let's embrace that. Let's hear this. Look at this. Verse, verse 2 in James 5, he says that your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you. That, that God sees the way we make money. It matters to him how we make the money we make. How we earn the money we earn. So do it honestly. And don't be mistaken that God sees us. He sees what we do. Proverbs 20, 21 says this, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. That sometimes we wanna, we wanna get money fast and quick and, and that's usually not helpful for you. Those usually don't work out. So let's not fall into that idea. Let's be honest in the way we make it. The second thing, I think, if we're going to honor the Lord with, with our money, if we're going to be faithful stewards of our money, we need to understand that God rewards the cheerful and disciplined giver. That, that when, to, to, to be a, a faithful steward, we, we are going to be a, a, a cheerful giver, a disciplined giver. Let's think about that for a second. You know this verse in Malachi chapter 3. You, you've probably heard this preached before. And, but Malachi 3 says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Look at verse 11. This is so cool. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Let's leave that up. I, I, look at this. I will rebuke the devourer. Isn't that cool? So some of us feel like, dude, the devourer lives at my house. I mean, every time I get paid, it's devoured, right? But what's cool about the Lord, when you say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become a cheerful giver. I'm gonna be a disciplined giver. Meaning that you're going to pray about, what, what, God, what should I give? I mean, we should be praying about, Lord, what do you want me to give towards the mission? Lord, of my paycheck that, that I got Friday, what should I give? Let's be disciplined in that where we're consistently given. And, and the Bible tells us that when we do that, the devourer is rebuked. And that's really a cool picture. That, that God, God helps us and, and provides for us and, and blesses what we do. And, and all through our lives, Robin and I have seen that as, as we have been intentionally disciplined about tithing and about giving over and above our tithe. And this is something we've done all of our lives. And, and I'll tell you, it's been amazing to watch how the Lord is no man's debtor. The Lord is faithful, and he will, you, you test him, Malachi says. And here's what you'll find, is the devourer will be rebuked in your life. Satan hates you. 
He wants to devour everything about you. And so many believers struggle because they just hold on to everything they have and they miss the fact that, no, God's telling you to be a cheerful giver, a disciplined giver. Now, another thing, when, when I think about being a faithful steward, not only should we give, but do you know that you should spend your money wisely? I mean, this is, this is what it looks like. If, if you're going to be a faithful steward, you're going to be wise in the way you spend your money. You know, when I talk to couples, the number one, uh, one of the biggest struggles that couples face is, is money problems and money challenges because they just don't spend wisely. And, and when you look at Scripture, it helps us understand and pay attention to how we spend our money. Like Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. So we've got to learn to recognize that. And I'm not talking some wacky health, wealth, and prosperity thing, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But let me tell you something. God blesses you, and God has called us to be influential, and God gives us more than we need. The problem is not, do we have enough? The problem usually is, I'm not being wise in the way I spend my money. So this means keeping good records. You should, pay, you should keep good records in your money, of your money. Know where your money goes. Like Proverbs 27, 23 says this, Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. Part of that wise spending is, is saving your money. I mean, when, when, when the Bible talks about hoarding, the, the key is not, oh, you shouldn't save. The, the key is, is you're, you're not doing it for selfish purposes. You should save. You know, it's like uh, Proverbs 21.20 says this, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. And you should save money. I mean, Robin and I have been saving for retirement since we got married. And there's going to be a day that, that we, we are going to be, pay our own salary. Now, it's not to buy a yacht on, I'm not going to be able to buy a yacht, okay? I'm not one of those preachers. I don't have the hair for it. I, you know, I was jealous of those guys' hair. Man, so cool. Their hair is so cool. But, but I'm not one of those TV preachers. But, but the reality is, I don't want to buy a yacht. The ocean scares me. I went scuba diving last week on our, on our family vacation. I hated every second of it, but I did it because I don't want my wife to think I'm a pansy. So she's not in this room. Scared me to death, okay? But we're not going to retire to just sit and coast. There'll be a day I'll pay my own salary. And Robin and I will I'll say, Lord, what do you want? What, what's the next chapter? Some of you are, have moved into retirement. I've known people this recently have moved into retirement, but that's, that's one of those, Lord, what's next? Let's get after it. What do you have next for me? That's the Christian. That's the Christ follower. But you should save. You know, um, uh, the, the, the key to save, and I talk to people all the time, oh, I can't save. I can't save money, Chris. There's, there's too many bills, and, but there's too, many, too much to pay for. But the key to saving is this idea that I'm content. And, and we should live with this attitude of contentment, that we're content with what we have. We're content with where we are. And this is the problem so many have. And, 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 and a Christian should say for, for, I learned this from my pastor uh, that I served with, Mark Hartman, told, I would always tell us this. He said, 
A Christian saves because it prevents us from impulse buying. That just because um, we, we should save our money because we shouldn't buy everything we see. It just shouldn't be the way you live. And you should save because when you save, that keeps you from just that impulse, that emotional buying that our advertisers are so good at. That communicate, oh, you need this. Oh, you gotta have this. No, we have saving in mind because that keeps us from the impulse. That, that it, when we save, and I've learned this, the saving helps your money start working for you. And this is what you've got to do with your money, that your money works for you. You save because that helps you, that enables you to help other people. And, and I'll tell you, there is no greater joy than helping other people. And I've seen this in our church, and I'm so proud of our church with, with that regard because I see all the time someone in our church that goes through a need and their Sunday school class will rally around them and get them gift cards and help them through a tough time. I've seen it time and time again in the life of our church. And I'll tell you, you don't want to miss the blessing of saving money and then being able to respond to someone in need. And I'll tell you, that's a blessing. And that's what, that's what Christ does in us. He moves us to help one another. And this is why James is pushing believers to say, you've got to have a better understanding of your money. Because the world doesn't. The world looks at money for selfish reasons, but the, the last application of being a good steward is this, that, that we're to use our resources to advance God's kingdom. And all through history, God has used his people and he has blessed his people for the purpose of being a blessing and advancing the kingdom of God. And folks, that's the kind of church we must become a church that says we will advance the kingdom of God. And it's the, exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 6 when he preached the Sermon on the Mount where he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust destroys, where, where, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for us to understand that God has given us these incredible abilities that God has given us this, these abilities in business, these abilities in athletics, the ability in engineering, the ability in oil and gas, and, and, and the, these crazy abilities that he has given each one of us. The ability to make an airplane fly. How do you guys do that? I don't understand. But we're to be people that say, God, every ability you give us, we want, it, we want you to use it to impact your kingdom. Because folks, understand this. There are only two things that last forever. I mean, God's taught us this. His word, his promises will, will endure from this day forward. And everyone, everyone we know, every person we know, will endure into eternity. And this is why we're giving out bracelets today, praying for my one, 
from, from middle school camp. And this is why people in our church are, are paying for, for students to go to camp that don't know Jesus. Because we want them to hear the one thing that will rescue them in eternity. And let's understand why God has blessed us with so very much. Why God has given us more than we need. Because every one of us, God's given us more than we need. Because he wants to use us to advance his kingdom. And, and that's what we must do. And I'm not talking about, oh, this, send me your check so I can buy an airplane. Like some preachers mistakenly do. We've got a job to do in this place, out of this place, that we will go here, there, and everywhere and share the gospel with the world. Understand how God wants to use your cash. And don't miss the blessing. Don't fall into the lie that the world is throwing us. That money is all you need. No, Jesus is who you need. You know, as I've prayed about this message, I thought, Lord, man, uh, well, I'm preaching on money. People go, yeah, preacher, talking about money. Great, glad I came to church today. Glad I brought my friend that doesn't know Jesus today. But God has a purpose in our message today because God uses his word in crazy ways. But I do want you to know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take. I pray you come to him. And we have invitations here. And, and in fact, I want you to stand right where you are. Brent's going to come out and play. And, and as you stand, we, get, we open up our altars. Now, our altars are open all the time. But we invite you to respond. Not to me, not, but to God in your life. Maybe you need to come with your wife and, or your family and say, Lord, look, we need to be more faithful. And, and right now, Lord, we offer you what we have. Maybe you need to come and you need to come to Jesus. Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. And I'll tell you, the one thing that the rich and the poor all have in common is we all walk through that door called, called death. And we don't take anything with us. So do you need Jesus today? We invite you to him. And I, and I plead with you, come to him. Come to Jesus today. You'll never regret it. If you know him, my prayer is today that you can honestly, you don't have to come down to do this, but you can honestly say, Lord, everything I've got, I trust you with and I give to you and I'll follow you. Lord Jesus, we need you today.